In a world gone mad, only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. This is episode 26, Andrew and Jerry Celebrate America. We're recording this on July 1st. Rabbit, 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 by the way. I almost never get a chance to say that because we very rarely record on the first day of the month. But we are on the, uh, the, uh, the, the I was going to say, Jerry, on the urge on the verge of the 4th of July weekend, Independence Day weekend, it's a three-day weekend for uh, <laughs> lots of people except for me. Um, I will be Why? on Because I'm on WMAL on Monday morning, Jerry, bright and early. And ah, I'm yes, indeed. And you're on, on, you're, you're on on Sunday, or are they doing some kind of special for you? I am on on Sunday. Okay, so then three-day weekend for neither of us, really. Right. Um, right. So, 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 yeah. Uh, but yeah, we lots to talk about. Um, uh, all sorts of great stuff happened this week. Though, what did you? As we were talking, Jerry. What did you point out that uh, to the other well, side? It, it's 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 amazing to me. Uh, senators, Democratic pundits, uh, political celebrities, members of members of Congress, the President of the United States, uh, literally are using uh, language. Uh, to destabilize the courts, delegitimize the court. You know, it smacks of 2016. Oh, yes. They did and, not and like... 2000, frankly. It smacks yes. of 2000. Yeah. They, they did not like the presidential outcome. So therefore, everything around it uh, was uh, not legitimate. And they're doing it again with the court. Oh, yeah. Well, well, and, I, and, I, and here's, here's the bottom line. I, I know we're not so worried. We have, we have a segment called The Bottom Line. I'm going to bottom line something about this very early on in the show. With the exception of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association decision, which has to do with the Second Amendment, something that is actually expressly enumerated in the Constitution, every one of the decisions that conservatives is applauding is rooted in returning the power of, of, of an unelected bureaucracy or right. of the courts, returning it either to state legislatures or to the federal legislature, the Congress. And so all of these, I mean, all of them. Right. I mean, we're, we're well, I mean, not the not the not the uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton. I mean, that's really about religious freedom. But but the the uh, uh, the Dobbs but, decision. Sorry, but even ahead. but even on the Kennedy decision, the the prayer decision. When one side has to promote falsehood. Yes. You know, there's a problem uh, with their argument. Their argument is most likely indefensible the the kennedy prayer decision did not re rewrite the first amendment i saw senator senator what, what's his the name opposite. from connecticut murphy yeah is chris it murphy, murphy. Yeah, chris, chris murphy, murphy from connecticut tweeted out today that in the past you know the past session uh, the courts uh, rewrote the first amendment rewrote the second amendment yeah. uh gutted gutted all climate change protections uh, and robbed from women uh, their health. I also saw one uh, very popular Democratic member of the mainstream media say that the EPA decision uh, will cause cancer and respiratory illness. Right. Uh, yes, that of it's, course. That we are we are on the edge of 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 Armageddon. Well, well listen, I want to get into the specifics on that in a moment. I, I actually um, no, no, we will get into specifics on that in a moment because I don't want to go to rip from the headlines quite yet. Because I do want to talk about two things that I that I absolutely hate on Twitter, sort of as an introduction, because I, I, I meant to bring this up. 
I'm on Twitter more than Jerry is, though. Jerry is getting more engaged on Twitter. Um, I can't uh, get my members up. Listen, go to at Jerry Rogers show and please follow me. I, I it's pathetic. Andrew, I have 534 followers. Nothing wrong with that. It's the quality of the followers that counts, Jerry. I have I thousands want. of followers. And, and anyway, but, but my, my two things that I hate on Twitter. Um, number one. Uh, I, I hate when someone responds to something in, you know, one of my tweets and or and then somebody else responds to that person and it goes off on a massive thread in which I'm still included in it. And I haven't. Said yes, yes. There should be a mechanism to get rid of. That. I hate that. And then I got into it with with uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to mention his name, a, a, a political science professor. Uh, from Baltimore, who I've had some pleasant interactions with in the past. I've had some not so pleasant interactions with in the past. Very pleasant when we talk about small business and entrepreneurship uh, and regulation. Other than that, no. Um, what I hate is when someone throws up their hands and says, "Well, I'm not just. I'm not going to talk to you anymore." Like I will frequently say in a thread, if I'm if 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 there's no point in, in discussing it anymore, I will frequently say, "You are welcome to have the last word." It seems like that is important to you. Because there are for a lot of people, having that last word is very important. The the counterpoint is when someone says, I'm done here. There's no point in talking with you about this anymore, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then they'll come back like an hour later or two hours later and say something in the thread, right? It's like one of these things where they finally, they think they've come up with a perfect retort on something that, that I, that I hate. And that, that happened with this guy. He, he, he would not answer my questions talking about this uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton case. Um, and, and I, I was trying to get, you know, wrap my head around because this guy is a progressive, he's a proud progressive. And, and I was trying to wrap my head around very specifically. He had a very angry reaction to this and you know, I mean, now we'll go to the rip from the headlines segment. Uh, anyway, let's go to, let's go ladies and gentlemen to ripped from the headlines, ripped from the headlines. So this Kennedy versus Bremerton decision, this is the religious freedom uh, that Coach Kennedy was fired improperly from the Bremerton School District, at, you know, over his wanting to, after a game, stand in the 50-yard line and conduct a silent prayer. And folks would gather around him, and he made it really clear. No one was being forced to do this. If you wanted to come and join me, come and join me. He did make a very public display of this, and you know something? That's his right to do it. He said, I'm going to go pray, and if you want to join me, join me. Um and and this this political science professor was very adamant that he has every right to go and pray privately in his car. Well, sure he does. He also has the right to play, pray in a public space. And I pointed out that there are many instances in which people pray in public and in public spaces. You know, whether it's Confucianists in parks in San Francisco, <laughs> right? That's or, right. Yeah, or 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 you know, or frankly, you know, whoever in, in Washington D.C. But I asked him because I really wanted to know, again, right, Jerry, what do we talk about? We want to be persuaded as well as being persuadable, right? Sure. To be open yeah. that. So I tried to get at why is it so important to you? What do you think is going to happen? What, what do you think What do you think the, 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 the downside to him praying in the middle of the football field is? Somebody else popped in and said, that's not the right question. I'm like, you don't understand. I know this person. I'm asking this person specifically. But why Jerry. wouldn't that be the right question? Uh, because the question he was he was focusing on the law and the decision and 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 the issue of the establishment clause and 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 the lemon test it, it, it was someone who had sort of popped into a conversation and didn't know the the fifty tweets beforehand yeah yeah, yeah. I get and, it. I and the and the preceding and the preceding things 
and you know, so I, anyway, and I never got an answer. I mean, I never, I never got an answer. He claimed that he answered the question several times. He never did. Um, but, and this is part of the problem. And I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I kind of understand the idea of if he was an authority figure and if he, and if it was, if, it, if the prayers were in essence compulsory, right. You get this. I, I, I actually, I don't, okay. I, I don't, I don't see why a person of authority, even a person of authority couldn't pray publicly in a public school. No, it's no, ridiculous. I, all right. The idea that no, the no, idea no, no. that you give up your first amendment rights no, when you no, no, enter no, a public school no, is no, ridiculous. You're missing my point, Jerry. It's yeah. this idea of, of like, let's say that he made playing time um, contingent upon your participation in the prayer. That would be a problem, right? Sure. Okay. All right. I mean, so, so I understand that, but there was never any allegation of this. And, and we all would agree that anything where there's an adult who creates a coercive situation for a student in terms of whether it's getting better grades or whether it's getting playtime sure. or whether it's yeah, getting of course. Know, first chair and whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wrong, right? That's an abuse of power. Um, but that, that is not the, that is not the issue here. And, and so, you know, but this gets into this, everything about this, every single decision that has been made um, um, by this court uh, has been uh, misinterpreted by the left in some way, shape or form right? on, on purpose, on, on purpose. It's purposeful. Yeah. They, again, this, this decision, this prayer decision is limited. It's discreet. Uh, it doesn't rewrite the first amendment. It doesn't allow for uh, the establishment of religion. And also I want to say this because it just to broaden it out, you know, the bottom line or root from the headlines. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, every time I hear a leftist or a member of Congress say the wall of separation, they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, they literally well, have no well, idea. They have no idea that when Jefferson wrote the letter to the Danbury church, he right. literally Jerry, he had literally just come from a religious service in the United States Capitol. Yes. And again, remember this letter, uh, his point in the letter was Congress uh, could not establish a religion, uh, but the state of the state of Connecticut very well could. Well, well, and at the time, sure. Then that's an interesting thought. I actually hadn't hadn't thought of that, that there could be an official church of the state. Yes. Yes, there could have been. Jerry, I think it's time that you and I start the official church of the no, state of Maryland. But, they, but, but, but however, what happened later, though, of course, with the Civil War amendments, uh, you know, it, 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 it oh, it yes, took, of course, the 14th Amendment. Yeah, yeah it, yes. So so it changes things. But my point is, is that and again, I've asked I've had um, members of the media on you know, WBAL or with me in some other uh, some other uh, some other context. And, and they'll say wall of separation. And I'll say. Where is that in the Constitution? Well, yeah. well, it's it's in the preamble or no, no, it's in the First Amendment itself. No, it's not. Well, no, no, no. They you know, and that's part of it. Right. Is that is that, you know, again, this gets down to everybody thinks that they're an expert in, in yes. everything. I, I mean, it's funny. I actually want to want to pull something else up because I think you and I have talked about this. There's a, a guy named Tom Nichols. Now, I've spent some time talking about. It. I know. I know who Tom Nichols Tom, is. Yes. Tom Nichols. Tell for and, our audience, though. And, and so Tom Nichols, it was a he is an international relations expert, legitimate. He taught at the Naval War College. I'm not sure he still teaches there. He's got a sinecure with the Atlantic. So he writes a, a, a newsletter for the Atlantic. He was at the Heritage Foundation, strangely enough, at one point in time. But he's sort of had this journey uh, over time. Um, but Tom Nichols wrote a book a few years ago about the death of expertise. 
and about people sort of getting outside of their lane in terms of talking about things in which they are not experts in speaking with authority. And so there was no small amount of irony to watch Tom Nichols start pontificating about the Constitution earlier this week. Things, again, that he has he knows nothing about or very little about, or, you know, maybe he knows more than the average person, but he right. certainly is not a constitutional expert by any means. Sorry, well, however, with that being said, I think citizens should make themselves constitutional experts. I think that we have an obligation. Don't get me wrong. Stop for a second. I agree yeah. with you. My, my point is someone who writes a book bemoaning the, this and, and right. sort of setting himself up as you only experts can talk about things should then take their own advice to heart and sure. not go outside their lane. That doesn't mean the rest of us. Listen, we all know, you know, we and we want people to have these discussions. That's the beauty of the Constitution. It's beauty, by the way, the things that we're celebrating about America is that people are engaged and they are informed um and and they have a right to speak on these things and they should speak on Listen, you know hold on hold on hold on i want to because we're going to get back to this because we're going to talk at some point about this epa west virginia versus epa decision and the issue of regulation uh, a lot of folks don't know y- yes these unelected bureaucrats have to have their power reined in but everybody anybody can voice their opinion on these regulatory issues. It's one of the great beauties of this. And if you say something, let me, Jerry, let me take 10 seconds and, 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 and give you an example. There was a, a, a rule that was going through the EPA during the Bush administration called the off-road diesel rule. And they wanted to uh, uh, get at the emissions coming off of farm equipment, tractors. And they were going to mandate that that the Farmers literally attached this kind of black box to their engines of their tractors. And it took some farmer, one person, not an expert in regulation, but an expert in farming, uh, saying to the EPA, hey, you need to explain to me how I'm supposed to put this black box on my tractor engine. You know, how is it actually literally physically going to fit on my tractor engine? This is the the beauty of this. I'm sorry, Jerry, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I, I had a, a caller in uh, yesterday at WBAL. I made the case that, for instance, with Dobbs, you hear from President Biden, from myriad members of Congress, from advocates outside, from the media, that Roe v. Wade needs to be codified into the law, that we need a Roe law. And I've been making the case now, and I'm shocked that no Republican, no pro-life advocate, no serious thinker about the Constitution, hasn't pushed back on this idea. The Congress has no authority, zero authority to uh, write Roe into law. Uh, Remember this. Absent doing it as a constitutional amendment. Absent the constitutional amendment process. But there it's not just Congress, right? It's Congress and the states and the people. But uh, I made this point and I was very clear. I said, look, I said, this isn't this isn't I agree that we shouldn't do it, but at the same time, I don't think Congress has any authority to ban abortions either. Yes. So it, it, it cuts both ways. Anyway, well, this caller, this caller called in and said, Congress can write any law it wants, uh, and that's how you make rights. And I said, no. I said, well, Congress, of course, can write any law it wants, but the court could strike it down. Right, and as I, it has and, many times. Or, or some member of Congress could do a, uh, a point of order and say what we're doing here is unconstitutional, which has happened in the past as well, that we have no jurisdiction here. But my point is, I said very clearly to this gentleman, I said, look, I said the Ninth and Tenth Amendments uh, limit the power of the federal government, limit the power of Congress. In fact, there are 17 discrete 
powers given to the feds, given to the Congress, uh, having to do with national defense, interstate commerce, the post office, currency, and these sorts of things. And I said, I said, nowhere does the Congress have the authority to create a right. And he, except by constitutional amendment, Sorry, except by ahead. constitutional amendment. But even there, again, that's not just the Congress, right? The Congress can pass the amendment Absolutely. and then has to go to the states for ratification. 100%. So even, but even there, the Congress doesn't have sole authority. So my point is, is that this is pretty clear and basic to me. I'm shocked. And I said to him, I said, Wait, you must, I said well, to this gentleman. All right, because I have a question about this. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about precedence here. And honestly, this is not within my wheelhouse, but I know this is more in yours. How did the Defense of Marriage Act work? What did what did the Defense of Marriage Act do? Right. It the was. Defense, it, you can, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I again, if I remember correctly, but my understanding of the Defense of Marriage Act was that there would be no <laughs> that no that if one state passed. Uh, marriage okay. equality sure. that all the states would have to reciprocate and, and accept that and, and recognize recognize that marriage is right. valid but again that's sort of a, an interesting okay it's, it's it's sorry i know it's i'm just sort of thinking about these things which again again i don't want to get on the marriage debate but if you no. think about it if you think about it uh two individuals three individuals uh living their lives organizing their lives in the manner in which they 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 they, they want to um that's a matter of contracts and private contracts. Wow. And the Constitution speaks to that, too, in terms of the federal government's role in private contracts. Uh, I, I'm not sure. And this is interesting, too, with with Justice Thomas, you know, when he said that we should reconsider these other decisions. Part of why he said that, if you read his uh, his uh, concurrent concurring decision or opinion, was that maybe the legal reasoning isn't strong enough and we need yeah. to go back and shore it up. I'm not sure if the Supreme Court case that granted marriage as a constitutional right, I'm not sure if it's on a solid foundation. Now, it doesn't mean I would I, I, I would no, want to no, I'd want to go backwards. But I just, you know, again, the legal I, I am listen, the legal sorry, reasoning matters. No, 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 hold on. That's, yeah. that's an absolute. I don't want to move away from that point, Jerry. Yeah. Because this is the conversation that I had, you know, with a with a, a, a libertarian legal scholar back at, at CEI, someone who has become a very renowned legal scholar today. And I don't know what his views of the issue are, but I, I, know, I, know, I know who you're talking I, about. But I know we were talking about the the issue of, of choice versus, you know, abortion versus life. And he said to me, and now at the time he was a law student, so this was right in his head, and he goes, um, he says, well, you know, Roe is is decided on very shaky grounds. Roe is, is not the precedent you want if you are pro-choice. And I had him explain that to me. But so that, that but that's that's the point is that, you know, right. These, these Look, discussed. Go ahead. We, and again, just to put Justice Thomas's his writing in proper context, he wasn't saying we should go back and undo these precedents. What he was saying was like Roe, they might be on. Uh, uh, they might be on shaky ground, yet there still might be a constitutional right in place. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was pro-abortion, said over and over and over again, lectured over and over yes. and over again, that Roe was wrongly decided. Yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that 
Roe actually set backwards the pro-choice movement. Yes. She they, said they that. Yeah. She, yes, they overreached. And she said that what, what Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her expectation was that the states would figure this out. And then eventually the so-called right to an abortion or this or the access to a safe legal abortion uh, would have found consensus and equal equilibrium. That never happened because Roe intervened. Yes. Yes. And yeah, again, I'm pro I, I'm pro life. So I, I'm not saying that I would uh, uh, in any way favor abortion. What I'm saying is, is that we need to have the conversation well and, and my voice should be heard and, and so should others and, and more to the point right as we're talking about this you know as folks are saying how much this damages democracy and how nine you know unelected lifetime it's, in, it's insane you know but you know again there, there are this is why we have legislatures and and the governmental power provided that it is founded in the constitution i actually before i get there jerry i want to have a couple of minutes because because i want to continue to talk a little bit about this caller because I, I went and just looked up uh, about uh, bigamy and polygamy and there was the the Edmonds Act. Right. But that was only, you know, the federal government was ardently against bigamy and polygamy, you know, and their anti-Mormon bias. But that was only in federal territories. They couldn't do anything in the in the several states. Ex- exactly. And the but, same is true for abortion, by the way. My point, if the my, federal government wants to make Washington, D.C. an abortion sanctuary, it can. I'm sorry. Go yes. Ahead. But, but, but my point is, is we're sort of talking about this issue of Congress, you know, granting or taking away rights and the role of the courts and Congress can pass any law that it wants. Right. Congress, for instance, could not pass a law. Right. In the wake of 2000 uh, of, of September 11th, 2001, in the wake of that, they could not pass a law banning the practice of. Uh, of, of Islam in the United States, right? Of course they, not. I mean, right. They could pass the law, but it would be held immediately, Correct. almost immediately un- unconstitutional. By the, by the same token, right, um, uh, as we have these debates about hate speech, uh, Congress could pass a law uh, declaring Nazism uh, outlawed. But then, you know, again, you have these, these First Amendment issues. Now, there are ways that the federal executive branch can chip away at these rights as they do, as we've talked about. Uh, all of these rights, um, and it is a it is a matter of of the practice and how they go about implementing. But the point is, in the end, all the, these decisions, like the Dobbs decision, um, all they have done is return this power to the states, or in the case of West Virginia versus EPA, uh, re- return it to the Congress. To the Congress. By the way, I I I I, I forgot to to mention this. Uh, we have a guest today. We're gonna—he's gonna join us in just a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Uh, his name is Matt Schlapp. Uh, he is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. Because we're gonna talk to him about these decisions. Uh, we're gonna talk about the craziness of the left. We're gonna celebrate America. Also, want to talk to him about the the January sixth hearing, um, which has also gotten everybody kind of spun up here. Uh, you know, a couple of minutes, Jerry. Um, what I what I love were these headlines uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, the the right wing Republicans uh, try to undo uh, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, um, which is like she's already doing it to herself. Go ahead. Well, on on the J six issue, it's, it's it's funny. the The media knows that the Secret Service has completely debunked her testimony. We also know that other aspects of her testimony have proven to be untrue. And if you, if you listen to her language, she uses words like. I was in the vicinity of the conversation. I overheard. I thought I heard this. So therefore, she's safe in terms of of uh, 
of uh, giving false testimony. But yes. I wonder, I wonder after the testimony was over, she and uh, she and Liz Cheney embraced in a very uh, familiar hug. Yes. I, I wondered to myself, you know, this woman Hutchinson changed lawyers, changed her story. I wonder if she was coached to uh, to stay away from a perjury wait, trap. Wait, what? Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Well, no, that's 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 absolutely true. No, I I I. I I'd be shocked, Jerry. Shocked to find out yeah. that she was coached. Obviously hey, listen, coached. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell you what. So we'll, let's. Uh, we're we're going to bring on uh, on Matt Schlapp uh, in our uh, expert advice segment. Expert advice. Well, welcome to our expert advice segment. I'm so excited about the expert we have on today. Uh, his name is Matt Schlapp. He is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. He is an old friend. He's also the author. I'm going to pull this up. Uh, right now here, Matt, uh, he's author of a, of a book called The Desecrators, uh, Defeating the Cancer Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. He wrote it with uh, with Deal Hudson, who's a, also a longtime conservative activist here. Uh, we can't I don't think we could have picked a better week uh, to have you on. Not only is it uh, Independence Day on Monday, Matt, but we've had these stunning uh, successes, these great victories in the Supreme Court. Uh, what were I mean? Let's talk about this. Out of all of these great decisions this term, any one of which would have been monumental, uh, any one particular stand out for you? You know what's funny? There's so many good ones. I'm like trying to remember. It was like so much good news. <laughs> I never recall having any good news out of the Supreme Court. So I always <laughs> found the summer to be depressing because it was like, okay, this Bill of Rights will mean you know less. This means less. The court does more, but. I, 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 I guess I, you got to go with Roe v. Wade first, just yeah. because no matter what your position is, an abortion, and I'm a 100% pro-life person, but no matter what your position is, it's such a retarded decision. I mean, like nobody can read Roe v. Wade and say, wow, that Harry Blackman, what a legal scholar. I mean, you just <laughs> you can't like yeah. they made shit up. They uh, they 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 tried to act like they were both doctors and psychologists. I mean, yeah. it was such an example of like, nine people from the faculty lounge uh, trying to set public policy for people. It's like, you know, uh, they think they're so smart. They look so stupid in the decision. So I think that one's just like been a long time coming. And look, I, I don't I didn't know if I thought they would do it. Yeah. And um, my whole life, your whole lives, we've had this dumb decision. And by the way, as pro-life as I am, one of the downsides of the Roe v. Wade decision is that abortion has been at the center of our politics uh, because justices made the decisions instead of voters on an issue that the Constitution is silent on. And, you know, for all these, you know, these Janes and these friends of Ruth and all these, you know, terrorists out there, you know what? They get to be part of this process on the new regulations. Why are the blue people so scared of this going through blue legislators? legislatures who will vote to not criminalize abortion. Abortion will probably not even hardly be regulated. Like, why are they whining so much? I think it's because they know that actually, even in blue places, sex selection abortions, you know, partial birth abortions, they're not popular. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, right? I, one of my favorite reactions to all of this was the mayor of Baltimore, Brandon Scott, pledging $600,000 uh, to to uh, ensure that uh, abortion access was going to remain for the people of the city of Baltimore. And I'm sitting here going, when was it ever in danger, right? I mean, and it, 
and and the thing too about about Baltimore City, but about Chicago, uh, about New York. You know, we've seen an unprecedented spike in violence, homicides uh, in these cities. And you'd think these mayors uh, would try to promote a culture of life. Uh, And again, I don't think uh, Brandon Scott or these big city Democratic mayors are going to change their tune when it comes to the abortion issue. Uh, But at the very least, why promote it? Why celebrate it? What really gets me, and I'm like you, Matt, I'm I'm 100% pro-life. In fact, my wife and I, how we got into politics was through the pro-life movement. Uh, My wife years ago when we were in her 20s was the president of the largest pro-life organization in the state of New Jersey. That's how we came to politics. That's why we got involved. So I'm with you 100% pro-life. But at the same time, I understand Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself uh, thought that this was a poorly construed decision, that it should have gone, gone to the states. And so I think the reason why they're so angry over this is because now, to your point, Matt, they have to defend the indefensible. Yeah, I think that's right. And look, I think the, the I got involved in politics because of the pro-life movement, too. In all candor, I was arrested at a protest at an abortion clinic. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's the moral question of our time. You know, everyone has great moral questions. Our great moral question is how do we treat uh, the the marginalized? And, you know, the left probably uh, does a better job of marketing the fact that they care. But, you know, I look at cities like Baltimore, you bring up Baltimore, you know, um, we've had abortion on demand, abortion for any reason at all for a full generation or more, maybe a generation and a half, um, we have spent lavishly on, quote unquote, air quotes, caring for people. And it's a hellhole. What did Trump say about some of those cities? I mean, it's sad. It's sad what's happened. They said, well, you have to have abortion because there are just some people that just they have desperate circumstances. Well, they've tried. We've tried all their solutions uh, and it's not made people happier. It's not brought more human functionality. It's not brought more prosperity. I think it's done the opposite. And I I think we should give the other a try for a while. Yeah. Maybe maybe some of these kids that would be born in desperate circumstances will change the world. I, I'm for trying. Yeah. That. You know, a couple of things. And my wife says this all the time. Uh, where there's life, there's always hope. And it, it drives me uh, crazy that you have serious people, Matt, Andrew, who say they're better off dead. That's their argument. Did you well, hear Anna Cardenas? I sad to say she's married to the, the previous CPAC chairman, Al Cardenas. She went on TV and she said basically that she her step grandkids would have maybe been better not to have been allowed to be born oh because goodness. they have, a, 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 you know, a disability. And you hear people say this all the time. It's like, well, who are you to I, I have a disabled child right. and, you know, I might have made a different choice. And you're like, my God, have we gotten to the point where you, you, you want to kill your relatives and by the way, I don't think that's really great for marital harmony. If you say like your step kids or grandkids should be dead. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the insanity of our time. And that gets passed off as as reasonable analysis. As someone yeah. pointed out to me, and I agree with this, you know, that comment from Anna Navarro was it, it was it was that, you know, you have that immediate reaction where she's the grandmother who says the thing in the room that just makes everybody cringe and roll their eyes and they go. Oh, well, that's just, you know, a social antisocial grandma talk yeah. uh, out there. But, you know, it's worse because she's got these various platforms. Matt, I, I mean, I want to talk about this, though, you know, these kinds of reactions and not just to the the uh, the Mississippi, the Dobbs decision, 
Um, but all of these other decisions, it, it the, 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 the left is talking about it as the collapse of democracy, when in point of fact, it is returning power to either the state legislatures, as you point out, in the case of West Virginia versus EPA, returning it to Congress itself. I mean, is the left... Is this sort of the left's fatal conceit here? They're they're sort of their over the top reactions. Um, I think that they uh, are governed by emotion. Oh yeah, and I think that they also it's all propaganda, uh, as all fascists use, yes. and uh, they really study the language and they really study how they can trigger people and how they can appeal to them on, a, on an emotional level. And I just think we're wired not to be that way we're wired we're wired i was raised that if you let your emotion get into your thinking too much um you'll make bad decisions and my mother and my father taught me that that was just a logical thing and i guess now that's why we were like a radical conservative household even though my parents weren't even very political but they they taught you things like that which as you grow up you realize oh i'm just more aligned with these people who say things like well you can't keep spending money you don't have the left doesn't even think that way they say oh my god this person's in desperate circumstances how can you be so heartless as to not give them more money more money to give to them you know but it's always but it's bad it's always it's oh it's always you give them more of your money Yes, you know, yes, um, yeah. I, I I taught you're uh, a bad religion. person yeah. because I, you're a bad person because uh, you don't want to get you don't want to be commanded to give money. Right. When I me. yes, when I came out, out of Florida, Florida, yes. when I when I came out of Florida, my taught religious education theology at Iona, uh, Iona Prep. Well, you should have been school. disqualified if you came from Fordham. <laughs> I know. I, but I was educated by by the Irish Christian brothers before the, Je- the, the Jesuits. OK, fair it's funny. I, just a point of a personal moment here. Please. Uh, when I interviewed at Iona, the, <laughs> the head of the brothers, Brother Repke, said, Jerry, we're going to hire you, uh, even though <laughs> you, went to, you, you, know, you went to forum. But Funny. let me let me let me say this, though. One thing I noticed in those early days. Uh, was uh, it, with, with Catholic social teaching, and and I taught uh, social. Uh, I taught uh, peace and justice. I had uh, you know I I had the the older uh, the the seniors and the juniors, and at that time the the church was very much into uh, liberation theology and, and these sorts of issues, mm. and and I remember uh, having a conversation with one of the brothers who I'm still friends with. He was a mentor, Brother Stanicky, and I said to him, I said. You know, doesn't the doesn't the scripture, doesn't the gospel, doesn't Jesus tell us to give our time, our money, our resources, our love? And what you want me to teach these kids is to lobby their government for someone else to do these things when it's the church who should be responding and yeah, reacting and loving like 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 welcome the stranger. Yes. I will welcome the stranger, but it doesn't mean that I should petition the government to have open borders. There's there's a conflation here between between doing what's right and good and moral and then having or forcing others to do it through politics. And Matt, before you respond to that, I want to add to this because, you know, I got into this with somebody. Somebody had had, had tweeted out about um, uh, about the uh, the resentment on the part of of working class uh, Americans towards uh, the well, elite college educated Americans. And I pointed out to this person, yeah, I can't imagine why they're resentful. You want to force them to give up their hard-earned money uh, to subsidize the college debt choices of, of college educated Americans. And, and you're out on the ground, you know, ACU, you, do, you guys do CPAC, you guys are out in state legislatures, uh, but you're now doing these regional CPACs. You're out there talking to people. Uh, talk about this issue of 
of being forced to make choices and, and spend your hard-earned tax dollars for people who were not spendthrifts. How is that playing out in the hinterland? So I, I just want to say this. You're right. Uh, we, my wife and I, we campaign pretty much nonstop. Strangely enough, I never would have thought this is, would become my life. But uh, we're out there all the time. She just came back from Arizona. Um, I can't even tell you where we're going next, but I know we're going someplace soon. <laughs> and you do talk to a lot of people. We had 100 people in our house last night for a fundraiser for this great new candidate who's running for Congress uh, in our district. And, um, you know, I talked to a lot of these folks and um, I feel like we do have our finger on the pulse because that CPAC is very grassroots. I, I would say a couple of takeaways. First of all, the first most important thing off of what Jerry said, just to jump into the, the theology of this very fast, because I don't know how to go anything but fast and I can't go very deep. So I'm just going to skim <laughs> on the top here. But the, the Bible is very clear. And Jesus was very clear that he appears uh, in the in the person of the humble. So like when you see the homeless person, a real Christian has to look at that person and say, that could be Jesus. He's asking yes. for money. Yeah. And maybe that's Jesus appearing in a form to make me understand that, like, I do have to be generous with the gifts he gives us. The yep. second thing is you real. I've come to realize through, and I chronicle this in the book and mercy talks about it. Like we had such an economic stumbling and I felt like such a failure as a father, you know, as you're trying to raise these kids, we have five kids. And what the great lesson I learned is in that process is God gives you your money. God takes away your money. God gives you your <laughs> Amen. gifts. He gives you your IQ. Yep. He gives you your speed. He gives you all these things. Yeah. Why doesn't he just make us all like amazingly smart and fast? It's like we're, we're all a mixed bag and it's all done according to his design and his yeah. reason. And you just eventually get to the point where you accept the fact that God gave you certain virtues. Uh, he didn't give you other, you know, strengths. And when it comes financially, you know, you're given this as a great responsibility. And by the way, go, let's take this all the way back to the Supreme Court. Sure. These nine people have a God given. Uh, they all are intelligent, yes. um, some more than others, but they're, they're all intelligent and they get the ability to sit on that court. What an amazing thing. And to think that so many Republican appointees have used it as a credentializer to get at the top of the list in Washington, D.C. to get invited to parties and yeah. get awards. I remember going to a dinner where Justice Kennedy was given a great humanitarian award for writing the opinion in the gay marriage decision. Okay. And I thought, what kind of courage did it take to write a decision that has nothing to do with the Constitution, by the way, yeah. uh, and then get be feted and applauded and get every award in town. And then for Brett Kavanaugh to be part of a decision on Dobbs and to almost have an assassin yeah. get in his house. I mean, that's courage. What, what these Republican appointees did for years was the opposite of that. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, Matt. I mean, this is why right? I may disagree with uh, Sonia Sotomayor on just about every issue that's out there and sort of her approach to the, the, the court and, and her reasoning and the Constitution. Um, but, you know, for her to come out and, and speak so caringly about Justice Thomas in the last week, I mean, that's 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 amazing to me. I mean, that to yeah. me, I think, takes a certain degree of, of, of courage, even if she doesn't show it in her decision making. But you, because, you, you know where Sotomayor is from? No, she's from the Bronx. Uh, yes, 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 yes. My old neighborhood, Matt. 
<laughs> but but my, my, my point, my point is this, it's just because of what happened in the wake of the Dobbs decision and the, the angry attacks, right? You have Hillary Clinton going on, what was it, CBS this morning and, and saying, well, I've known Justice Thomas since law school and he's been full of uh, anger and resentment ever since then, which is, you know, how dare you say this? Um, you know, statements like Sonia Sotomayor is talking about, you know, how Justice Clarence Thomas is joyful and kind uh, is incredibly helpful. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, no, I just, you know, so my point is, is that it takes great courage. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for the people of faith anyway, and maybe it's not just faith, but the people of strong moral character, I, uh, I, you just get to the point where you accept your station in life. And I think one of the reasons why Justice Thomas is a real hero of mine is, I don't get the impression that he thinks of himself as an important man. I yeah. get the impression that he he considers himself a child of God who has a certain job to do. He's just going to do it. And you know what I think? I think something else. I think his example on the court is what gave those other justices the courage. And no one will say it because Sam Alito wrote the opinion. He's yeah. a great man. And, but I think Justice Thomas's life and his steadiness and his intellect and his character is the glue that is allowing these younger justices who could really wander and have wandered on issues um, to stick together on the big ones. I actually am hopeful that we could see a lot of reversals from the uh, Warren uh, and Berger courts. I I would never would have thought that before, you know, two weeks ago, you know, you know, uh, hold on, Jerry, this gets into, this gets into something that Jerry and I talked about with regards to Donald Trump. And I, and I want to get your thoughts on Donald Trump and the Supreme court appointments, right? For me, I never, I just assumed when Donald Trump was running, just so you understand, Matt, Jerry and I were both Trump skeptics. It didn't occur to me that Donald Trump would deliver on his promises of appointing the right people to the high courts or putting the right people in at the the executive branch agencies or doing what he said he was going to do on regulation. I know, Jerry, you agree with me on that. Well, no no other Republican president would have uh, uh, stuck by Kavanaugh. Yeah. Uh, and he and he did. Uh, uh, Trump decided this is my guy. We're going forward with Kavanaugh. I think uh, any other Republican would have collapsed. But also just tangentially, I think that uh, even the, the the tax cut battle, any other president would have collapsed on that with the media. And and I think it was Trump who kept the Republicans in Congress together, which is why we had that historic tax cut. Uh, Trump proved himself to be someone who would dig in and fight. And that's so, and, and that's why and that's why even today uh, his uh, his supporters uh, 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 are still supporters. Deal and I write about this in the book that you guys were kind to plug the desecrators. The um, I think one chapter is entitled Trump Never Wavered. And what we go through is this thing that, you know, I wasn't a Trump skeptic as much as I was uncertain as I have become cynical about whether Republicans, when they become the president, are they really going to do these things? So exactly, you know, we we really don't do the things. If you look at a standard stump speech or a standard CPAC speech of a major national Republican, the, the, they have no intention of doing these things. Yes. They know they have to say that we want to shut down the IRS. They know we have to say that uh, we are going to outlaw abortion and overturn Roe v. Wade. They know we have to say that, you know, you should be able to have prayer in school. Like they know you have to say these things, but I've sat around these tables. I've had some of these jobs. They have no intention of doing it. Um, They have no intention of fighting for these things. It's all like we must say these things. And 
Trump, I spent a lot of time with him, a fair amount of time with him before he, he announced. And I was always amazed. I was gobsmacked at like how many questions he would ask me. And I was like, well, he's just having me on. He's making me try to feel important. But he would ask such great follow up questions. And what he was doing, he was taking a crash course in building that building. And the building he yeah. was building was becoming the president. And he needed to know what the, who the people were he needed to get on the side. What do you need to do to get that building built? So that when he knew, because he's smart, when he figured out what you had to do to build that building, he wanted it to be the most beautiful building in the world. So when he committed to being a pro-life guy, he was going to be the best pro-lifer ever. <laughs> Matter of fact, he would yell at the other pro-lifers. And this is what he would say, guys. And this is really important for us. He would say, you guys have been talking about this for like 50 years. Don't you want to get it done? Yes. Let's get the building built. And sure. that's how he thinks. You know, when 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 I knew that Trump was going to be a, a man that did what he said was when he followed through and moved the uh, embassy uh, uh, yeah. from Tel, Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem. And I remember um, uh, former Senator, was it Flake from Arizona? Yeah, so per right. perfectly named. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he got on he got on uh, one of the CNN type shows and said and actually said the quiet part out loud and said, look, I know he campaigned on this, but you can't do what you campaigned on. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness. Remember and Obamacare? So, Remember yes. Obamacare? These people, they these idiots talked about repealing Obamacare for like a <laughs> decade or something. Yeah. And then the ball comes to them. Can you imagine? I want to be in the Super Bowl. God put me in the Super Bowl. God, please put me in the end zone. Please make me open in the end zone. Let the quarterback see me. Oh, let him throw it to me. The ball is coming to them. It's going to be the winner. And they not that they drop it. They put their hands to their side <laughs> and let the ball hit them in the chest because they decide, you know, I know I said I was going to repeal it, but we're not going to yeah, repeal is. it. I think that was a real eye opener for me. And we've seen that on every single issue. Yeah. I want to ask you two guys a question. Sure. Besides overturning Roe v. Wade and besides moving the embassy, Right. And uh, think about one thing that Republic besides cutting taxes, the one think about those are three. Those, are, those other, are three big things, Matt. <laughs> yeah, but this is what that all Republicans do when they get power is they trim taxes a bit. We don't really yeah. do anything major. We trim taxes a little bit. We try to pick conservatives for the Supreme Court. But, you know, it's 50 50. They're all 50 50. Yeah. Even yeah. Reagan was 50 50. Name something else in the last 50 years. That's like Roe v. Wade, which is a complete and utter victory for what we've been preaching. I can't think of it. Well, I mean, you know, only the only thing that approaches it is is this is this regulatory decision on the major questions issue, right? The West Virginia. Yes, I agree. Okay, okay, so what I should have said, yeah. besides what we've learned in the last ten days. Oh yeah, <laughs> when have we ever been here before? We've never no, been no. here. That's exactly it. It's funny because somebody I was at a, at a meeting on uh, on uh, Wednesday and someone was talking about any one of these decisions, right? Whether it's the monumental gun case in New York. What was that, Jerry? I just said it's monumental. monumental. Yeah. Uh, whether it's the gun case, whether it's Dobbs, whether it's the we would Matt, before you came on, we were spending a lot of time talking about the Kennedy versus Bremerton decision uh, or this. Uh, and now this uh, this West Virginia versus EP, which didn't go as far as I would have wanted it to go. That, that's right? my it, question, Andrew, to you yeah. is that's kind of the one in all candor I, I, I might care the most about. But yeah. I, I, I understand the least. I don't exactly know how far it goes. Well, no, I mean, listen, it, it doesn't overturn this concept of, of what's called Chevron deference, right? It, agencies are, are accorded a tremendous amount of leeway in how they interpret the law. As I've been saying, right, um, uh, Congress passes the Clean Water Act and says you can't pollute a navigable waterway. 
we all know what a navigable waterway is, right? It's the Cuyahoga River, which caught on fire, which is part of the reason why the Clean Water Act was passed, or the Hudson River, or the Potomac, or the Chesapeake, or whatever. We know that those are navigable waters. EPA cannot turn a dry patch of desert sand in the high desert of Nevada into a navigable water of the United States. That's essentially what Chevron deference is all about. They, and they've done this. It doesn't go and throw that out, right? The, the way it is, is that, is that courts for the last 45 years have said, whatever the agency says is they're, they're given deference in, in that interpretation. What the court has come back and said is, okay, we're not gonna throw out deference entirely, but it's this major questions doctrine, right? So for instance, if Congress says, OSHA has the power to regulate sanitary workplaces, right? You wanna have a clean workplace, you can't use that to create a massive vaccine mandate, right? That's not the, the way this works. You can't shoehorn a, a major new regulation that has sweeping powers and economic impact into something so small and only tangentially related. So, you you know, if the Clean, uh, clean Air Act says you can't regulate, or, I'm sorry, the Clean Air Act says you regulate pollution, air pollution, you can't completely redo the entire power grid and the power economy in America. But, but let me but let me bring up one corollary yeah. to this. And in, in the stage of my life, when I worked with a lot of major corporations yes. uh, and, and and entrepreneurs, the uh, one of the problems with Chevron was that there's really no due process. So the, the smaller agency, quote unquote, independent agency, it's kind of misnomer, right? decides, yeah. okay, so the puddle in your driveway is a navigable waterway, is a wetland. <laughs> and then you, you know, the only place you can appeal is to like the guys that sit in the next cubicle at the same independent agency. So right. it's like, you know, it's kind of like the pardon process at DOJ when you have to go to the people that tortured you with prosecution to then see if you can be, uh, you know, get, get, get approved to get a pardon, which you never get approved to get because they hate yeah. you. Yeah. You know, this, this, this is part of this, that this is, there's no due process and, and for small was, business people. This was the brilliance and, and the beauty. This is where I knew that things were going to really look up under Donald Trump, right? Is that the, the, the two very first things that he did when he came into office or among the two, that very first week among the executive orders was one, an executive order on, on transparency and accountability on what our friend Wayne Cruz at CEI calls regulatory dark matter, the things that aren't regulations, but have the force of regulations, uh, interpretation and guidance documents. But the other thing that he did was he got at this issue of the administrative law process and wanted to make that process more transparent and accountable. And what happens when Joe Biden is elected? Those two executive orders are out literally again within the first week. You talk you know, about unprecedented- Sorry, go ahead. I was say that that's the great irony in all of this. And and if we had a, if we had a true independent uh, news media, this would be the conversation. And that is the party that is concerned about voter suppression and threats to democracy and insurrection yes. and all the rest of it. This is the party uh, that wants to uh, regulate in secret, uh, wants to delegitimize uh, the courts, uh, wants to undo the electoral college, uh, wants to be untethered from the Constitution. And it's again, I know it's, this is cliche, but it's the truth. If you want to know what the Democrats or the progressives are up to, just listen to exactly. what they're accusing us of doing. Yeah. Interesting. So, Matt, let me let's let's turn our attention. Speaking of accusing the Democrats, accusing us of, of what they're doing. I want to talk. We want to talk about January 6th and the craziness of this week 
Um, you know, can, can, can I just say something real quick please, to Matt yeah. about this? So Ms. Hutchinson's giving her testimony and I got to watch it because I go on the radio and I got to comment on these things and I got to pretend I'm intelligent. The, the Lord, the Lord gave me lots of talents. Uh, uh, I'm still waiting for the, the intelligence to kick in, but <laughs> I'm listening to her testimony and, you know, I, you know, uh, and repeat, I shut it off and I call Andrew. I'm like, did you hear this? This, this is not right. <laughs> I'm sitting I'm sitting in my house in Maryland and I know what she's saying isn't true uh, because there's no way the president, by the way, have you seen the beast? There's no way the president is lunging over a bulletproof uh, uh, a barrier and, and seats to go dr- to grab the steering wheel. And there's no way that Donald Trump and God bless him, you know, a 76 year old man who's a little overweight is going for the throat of a <laughs> of a of a uh, Secret Service uh, person. Uh, and, and again, it just it's it, it immediately smacked of being untrue. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Matt. And I, I wanted to just get it because when I was originally talking to the folks at AC about having you on, we were originally going to have you on right after the second of the primetime hearings, which wound up not happening. So think, you know, now we're a week away. We had this emergency J6 hearing or last minute sudden J6 here. I want to get your thoughts on this process and where they are and, <laughs> where we're going. and how it's again, how it's playing out outside of the bubble of DC. Um, so uh, my, first of all, let me just say, we started a first amendment fund as a function of our C3. We've raised um, over a million dollars from people across the country. Uh, we've spent that money to help uh, the, the lesser known victims. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Cassidy Hutchinson applied uh, to get her legal fees paid for. In our good judgment, we said no. Wow. Um, the the uh, you know we haven't we haven't given money to everybody who's asked. We asked the lawyers to take a haircut. Some of these lawyers don't like that, which I understand. Yeah. But uh, but you know uh, this is about saving the country and saving the reputations of these people who did nothing wrong. And then we have established. Uh, J6 facts on Twitter. So you should all follow that. And this has been, we've hired uh, a small group of experts to push back. We've broken so many stories. We put, we, we, we broke the story that the Biden administration, like the same week, they're saying uh, that these Capitol Hill cops were being attacked by Trump supporters. They dropped charges against five uh, Antifa slash BLM violent rioters who literally physically attacked cops. One of them threw a rock at a cop's head. The other one took a big metal shield and tried to go at a cop's neck. Um, you, know, you read the facts of what the, the charges that were dropped. And they said, in the interest of justice, we're dropping these charges. At the very same time, Liz Cheney is up on this stupid, illegitimate committee talking about like any cop that is, uh, that is attacked. By the way, no cops were yeah. killed by the crowd right on J6. These are things we don't know. Liz Cheney keeps saying five people were killed by this crowd. Everybody associated, family members, uh, superiors of these cops, that's all been debunked. They continue to say things that are untrue. And that's why we established the Twitter handle because everybody can have their opinion on Donald Trump. That's legal. Everybody can have their opinion on J6. That's legal. What you can't do is corruptly use your congressional power to push lies and destroy people's lives. And Republicans always sit on the sidelines when one of our colleagues and friends comes under attack because we all have corporate relationships and we we all know that DOJ will come after us next. And Mercy and I just said, screw it. We've got to stop having all of our wounded soldiers die on the field because we won't apply any first aid. 
Well, I'm not- you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm sorry, Andrew, just real quick. Yeah, please. Um, I, I know this from, from my experience, but also with talking with others uh, who have radio shows or who are involved in different media uh, outlets. Uh, uh, they've been told, be mindful how you talk about J6. Oh, yes. Be, that's right. be mindful about this. Uh, in some instances, uh, I know that folks have been told not to talk about it, uh, to stay clear of this topic. And so this pressure, you're absolutely right. Uh, this kind of... Um, uh, corporate cancellation. If you say something that's truthful, you say it. Uh, you say it in a spirit of 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 wanting to shed a, a light, not heat. Uh, if you articulate it peacefully, you can still lose your livelihood. It's insane uh, what's happening. Yeah. Oh no no no! Absolutely. And by the way, um, I lost clients associated with J six. I didn't go to the Capitol. Yeah. I didn't go to the ellipse. I sat in my home office because, quite honest, I think any common sense American could have looked at the emotion and drama and outrage. Quite frankly, I felt outrage at the voter yeah. fraud. I, I was knee deep in it in Nevada trying to sure. expose it. I remember. That's but, right. But I also knew at that point, it, you know, it was the denouement. It was coming to an end. And I didn't want to be part of something where I think there was going to be a lot of anger and emotion. I just didn't see the good that was going to come out of it. And so I decided not to go. I made a personal judgment. I still had people call me the next day and fire me because they felt like somehow I was an instigator. And I'm like, this whole idea that you're a domestic terrorist or an insurrectionist or whatever, because you have my views, I call bullshit on that. Yeah, but yeah. Matt, let me ask you this, right? Because yeah. I mean, not again, not to revisit the, the allegations of the 2020 election, or even right now revisit the allegations of the 2016 election. But we have a real, don't we have a real problem in America where things have become so complicated and our election system has, has become so complicated. We have 330 million Americans out there and hundreds of millions you know, voting. Don't we have a real problem in the timeline between when the election happens and and when yeah. the elections have to be certified. I mean, talk a little bit about that. It's a joke. It's a, yeah. it's a lie. Yeah. Um, you know, we act like there's some kind of process or due process uh, to um, to adjudicate fraud, certainly in presidential elections. Let's just set the table. You guys know this. But basically, the House of Representatives have for 150 years stolen elections left and right. The majority says, you know, it's a tight election for this congressional race. We're going to have a vote and say the Democrat won. And the Democrats have done that. Over yep. and over and over and over again. Nobody says that that is uh, undermining democracy. It's the way the House has its rules. And basically, my argument to Mike Pence and to people like Mike Lee, who are great friends of mine, and were, Mike Lee was looking for every conceivable way to get involved in this because he knew the fraud was real. But the problem with the Mike Pence defense on all this is, is that literally, if they literally do, if you have the evidence that they can steal a presidential election through fraud, if you don't take that up during the certification process in Congress, that means it is a license to steal every presidential election. And let me just tell you guys something. Please. If you will burn down our cities and kill cops and have 24 people dead after Antifa and BLM riots, and you will do that, and you will be the vice president of the United States and bail those criminals out of jail, what sure. is a little voter fraud? This sure. is a chip shot. This is a nine iron compared to the other things they're doing, uh, uh, these outrageous crimes that they're committing. Let's you know, and the irony, again, just real quick, Andrew, and that please. is, uh, and again, because, because I'm in Maryland, I, I remember Jamie Raskin going to the floor in January 2017 and, uh, and protesting 
the electors and wanting uh, yep, uh, and, and pushing back. I remember Hillary Clinton hiring in 2016, hiring uh, gobs of attorneys in various states to see about uh, 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 re uh, resetting or switching out electors. How about I, the pressure campaign that she paid yes, for right. to try to get to try to make electors fearful of voting for Donald Trump? Listen, exactly. Well, I, right. You know, something all I know is I was an elector. I wasn't even elector. I was had John McCain won Maryland. I would have been an elector for John McCain in Maryland. I was getting emails in 20. That was 2008. I was getting emails 12 years later urging me to not vote for Donald Trump. Um, wow. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's clearly someone had found my name on a list somewhere. And, and, but, and but look, you have this yeah. question where um, the the strict <clears throat> constructionist like Mike Lee, who I, I love and respect, and he's the guy, he's my go-to guy. But his point was we needed a controversy at the state level. But you yeah. had the same problem at the state level, which is there wasn't any time to try to, the, look, Bush v. Gore in Florida was very unique and where where are in our in our imperfect timeline that you bring up, Andrew, that you could you could do something there because that was more of a question of just a very close result. But when it comes to these thousands and thousands of thousands of, vote, of voter fraud examples, I'll give let me just repeat it in Nevada. Please, go ahead. Hundreds of thousands of mail in ballots are sent to people more than once. They know that there is tens of thousands of people that should have been taken off the rolls. They apply to take them off the rolls the day after the statutory deadline. So the weak Republican secretary of state says, well, you can't take the people off the rolls because you waited too late to ask on purpose, by the way. And so all the criminals and all the people who shouldn't be on the rolls are put back on. They then put the ballots out. This is all public information. The unions and the Democrats track all those ballots. They know no one's voting on those ballots. Lots of those ballots thousands were returned. People had people vote for them from previous addresses uh, under their name, and they couldn't vote on election day or they had to cast provisional. And here's the king daddy of all in Nevada. And no one talks about Nevada. Hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots go through a signature checking machine called the Agilis machine. Do you know what that machine did? It said it checked the signatures, but no ballots were kicked out. Wow. And Adam Laxalt believes that 25, it could have been up to 400,000 ballots, 25% of them, 100,000 of them should have been kicked out and been adjudicated by hand. That would be like the normal thing, 25% sure. at a minimum, when it's like 1% that gets kicked out. That issue alone, the fake checking of signatures digitally, which they didn't check, you could, an X could have marked the spot. And just to put a finer point on it, Please. A journalist did this during the presidential campaign. He voted legally nine times with the concurrence of the other of that person who got the mail in ballot. Wow. And they developed a way to see if the machines were checking the signatures by basically not signing that the proper name. Yeah, they all but one were accepted in the count. It didn't wow. matter what you put in the signature block. Sure. You could have put an X. You could have put a stamp of Mickey Mouse. It got counted. And if they all knew that because they run Clark County, sure. if the Democrats knew that anything they did on that signature line and they knew that the, the envelope of the address would be thrown away and you just have the ballot and it's an anonymous ballot, yeah. that is a license to steal the presidency. Now, I don't use that term. I don't know how much how, how widespread the fraud is because we really can't know. Sure. But they know that there's nothing under our system we can do unless we do the uh, we do the tough thing and say actually we're going to put a pause on the on on the results 
until we know the extent of these crimes. And I think that's hard for Republicans to do. But what happens if we don't do it? Let me ask you a question because hold on, hold on, hold on, Jerry. I just want to, I just want to really, really quickly, um, um, you know, ask Matt a, a question about this. No, no, you know, so we go ahead. By the way, nobody right. knows that, Andrew. What yeah. I just explained to you, nobody really knows. Oh. They did. We did a crappy job of making people understand. We actually did have the evidence. It was judges who were scared, sure, to death to to overturn the result in Nevada because they really did think they were going to start a whole new series of riots. Matt, so, so one of the just great... real... hey, sorry, go ahead. Jerry. Real quick. So again, this is a, cause this is something Andrew and I have talked about before. And that is because during this process, you know, Andrew and I were quite clear about what was happening in Pennsylvania, uh, what was happening elsewhere. And again, we know later from the time magazine piece that corporations, social media, uh, Democrats uh, and, 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 and the folks in the mainstream media were fortifying the election. Right. They admitted to this afterward. And that was kind of like the 60,000 foot, how they were setting it up. Uh, Do you know what that word means, Jerry? <laughs> Tell me. No, no, no. It's really important for us to understand Please. what that, well, they that were, was. They a were, very it, it was a set word that the Chamber of Commerce was, you know, maybe played right. the biggest role in. It was they knew that once they got the illegal ballot in that box. Right. That fortifying meant re reduce the chances that it could be questioned. OK. In other so words. In other words, make legal illegal voting. So, so and again, the, the, they themselves made this public with that 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 magazine article. But here's the question. And it's something Andrew and I, because as this was happening, yeah. Andrew and I are having our, our podcast or on the radio. And and I kept on saying, look, we have until I think it was what, December 14th, there, uh, even before January 6th, when the states certified their elections. That really was the drop dead date in terms of 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 recourse, because once the state certified, then the judge could you know, and, and then you challenge then a judge could simply say, well, yeah, there's it, it's hinky, but, you know, the deadline is passed. And so, you know, in terms of election reform moving forward, should we change the dates for for uh, for uh, for certification in the states? It, are there things that we can do? to police against fraud in the future. Okay, let me actually, let me jump let me jump in here. Go for it. So the first problem is it won't matter what we do in terms of time if if the judges and our elected representatives are really too scared to yeah. uh, to have a conversation about big cities that are run mostly by uh, black socialists uh, and uh, when you start questioning voting uh, you have this hearkening to our history when it is legitimately true that mostly Democrats, but both parties are guilty of trying to prevent uh, blacks from voting legally. And that is a hard, difficult topic. And and most Republicans do not want to have it. Sure. But the fact is, today's illegal behavior cannot be allowed to happen because of huge moral lapses in our history. And that right. is the reason why we won't touch this. We don't want to bring up the corruption of Baltimore and Detroit and New York City and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And mm -hmm. that is at the center of this. The yeah. reason why there's more fraud, there was always fraud. There's fraud everywhere. There's fraud when you run for Stucco president. But the, uh, but, the, but, the, but the difference now is that there are no Republicans in any of these cities, in any of these battleground states. There was always a couple before, just enough in New York City that they couldn't just do everything they want. Those people are all gone. 
It is all run by a very radical arm uh, of, uh, of, of, of the left. And they, they, they view Donald Trump as such a threat that they justified everything. And by the way, they don't go to, these are not like faithful people that believe in morality and stuff. They believe in power. And let me yeah. tell you, if, if people think Ron DeSantis is the answer because they're not going to hate him as much. They are wrong. Well, they're going to hate anybody. Be sure. question, right? It doesn't yeah. matter, right? The same accusations that were levied against Donald Trump are the same accusations that were levied against Mitt Romney, the same accusations that were, you know, well, the, the, right. the, 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 the intensity was different, but to Matt's point, whoever yeah, because the, we didn't like him either. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but, um, I mean, right. Uh, they accused uh, McCain of being unfit for office because of his yeah. anger. They accused Mitt Romney of murdering people. I mean, it and was being a misogynist. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, is that you're, you're 100% right. And I caution uh, my friends about this. And that is, uh, whoever the nominee is, they are going to be labeled as racist, yep. as insurrectionist, uh, as un-American, as illegitimate. And, and again, uh, that's what they did in two, that, the It's the 2016 model. They're going right. to use that now moving on everything moving forward. And, and then one of the reasons I love Trump so much and always will is he said, and your mother. You know, uh, they said, well, you did this thing in your background and he went right back in their face and he said, you did it twice. And, you know, on the on the on the playground, we used to say your your mother wears combat boots. Yes. You, we all remember <laughs> the phrases. There was the guy that knew how to handle the bully and Trump knows how to handle the left wing bully. He doesn't apologize and he's made oodles of mistakes. And by the way, when you get yeah. to know him, he admits it like he doesn't act like he's any kind of perfect guy. He is a regular guy and he knows he's made mistakes. The difference is, is that he is not going to spend his time talking about the mistakes they want him to talk about so that he marginalizes sure. his ability to be successful. They don't do that. Do you think Hillary Clinton has ever had to account for the fact that she just attacked uh, Clarence Thomas on the court or the yeah. fact that or the fact that she tried to delegitimize the 2016 results with this lie that she concocted about Russian collusion, which they knew was a lie from the very beginning? Do you think she ever apologizes or held on? No, she just talks about the next thing. Or, or and that's what Trump is trying to teach us. Or the fact yeah. that her two top aides were double dipping at the State Department, were double dipping a, with the I forget firm. it. You know, <laughs> I forget all this. That was that was that was funding the Clinton Foundation. And Matt, because I was going to ask you about about. And about, by the way, the Clinton Foundation, yeah. just just take yeah. 10 seconds, please. What did like 99 percent of the money that they all raised, like went into the pockets of their friends? It was like the least charitable charity like in the history of mankind 100 right i mean that that that, that that's exact that's exactly it you know it's 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 haiti is still a horrible place to to, to live uh despite the clinton foundation supposedly spending scads of money there no that, that's that's exactly it let me let me turn our attention before we let you know i before we let you go i know our, our time is limited july 4th is coming up independence day um we just had this story of cornell university of of them removing the bust of Lincoln and and the copy of the Gettysburg Address from the library. I'm going to pull up the book uh, again. Uh, your book is the Desecrators. You you wrote it with Deal Hudson. You've got a uh, uh, an introduction of forward by someone named Mercedes Schlapp. I don't know who right. that is. She may be related to you. I don't know. But but I want you to sort of talk about the book and where we are as a as a um, as a nation going into this July Fourth holiday. Yeah. And I talk about this in the last chapter, kind of like practical things. Yeah. And as a father of five girls, I, I think Mercy and I have gotten very practical in trying to help our kids to be proud of their country. It's little things, guys. You know, like I got my flag up in front of my house. 
Um, yep. And it's 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 a real center point. And I think we got to get back to this idea of loving our country, by the way, warts and all. And, and as a Republican, and I, I probably beat up the Republican Party more than most Republicans. But I'm really proud to be part of the party that was created to end slavery. Yes. How did we get ourselves into a defensive position when it comes to questions of race? I, w- I refuse to be in that position. I've never owned a slave. I've never advocated for second class rights for people of color. Um, and so I'm not going and, and to hold apologize. On hold on, hold on, Matt. And you also haven't advocated for policies that have systemically over the last right. half century destroyed the communities of color in America. That's right. And cynically, yeah. I could, will make the charge with a straight face that uh, I think the left actually doesn't want the lives of people of color right. and black people to improve because it's kind of good the way it's working out for them. It How could back. every one of these cities, every single one is failing so spectacularly. And if the three of us were given... Uh, uh, you know, $25 billion in a year. How come we could fix things so much quicker? And with all of the money they have, they can't do anything. Well, it gets down to what you were talking about earlier, right? Which is this idea of, oh my God, we're actually going to solve these problems. We're actually going to take you know, steps to do what we it, campaigned on. Go it, ahead, Matt. Know, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say uh, oh, to, to Matt's point here. And it, it, this is something that's different from the political debate uh, from, from maybe, you know, a, a generation ago. And that is, uh, People look, C.S. Lewis said that the the proof of God is that innate in in all of us is this desire to know the truth, you know, and and, and there's no culture where the man or woman running away from battle is lauded. It's always valor is is the thing celebrated. Uh, This idea, the concept of fairness is is uh, across this culture. So there are things in us that prove that God exists, that there's divine. And I think that in America over the last 40 years, so many people have abandoned uh, uh, true faith. And so politics has become their dogma. And that's why, yes. to your point, uh, Brandon Scott, mayor of Baltimore City, cannot fix Baltimore City because he's blinded by his dogma. Uh, he, 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 he cannot engage in ideas outside of his political faith. And that's part of the problem with our public discourse. And, but get, there's something else you're missing, yeah. which is if you don't love the country. Yeah, of course. And you're not honored to have been born an American. And when you're Michelle Obama and you say, this is the most telling thing I think I've ever heard a famous person say. Yes. For the first time, I can actually be proud of being an American or something to that effect. Yes. Right. That, that we need to listen to those words when a politician says they want to transform America. It's not a good thing. Yeah. It means you think it's crappy. And yeah. I don't think it's crappy. And I think the Republican Party has a very proud, uh, has a very a proud accomplishments, historical accomplishments Career. on race. I will not be lectured to by any Democrat on race. I don't care what their color is. And we've got to get out of this defensive posture when it comes to race. And if that means we have to learn more and talk to more people and listen more, I'm all for it. Yeah. But we have we are destroying this country. We are teaching the next generation to hate this country. If this country is so flippin' terrible, why is everybody coming on, on, on the here. open southern border to be here? It's because they all know it's the greatest place to be on the face of the earth, but it won't be much longer if these policies, which Biden is parroting because he's not in his right mind and his wife and his son are manipulating him uh, uh, in, in a gross display of power, uh, they're they're literally destroying the country. And the saddest thing of all is I didn't think you could destroy America this fast. And the 18 months or whatever it's been of Joe Biden, I'm the one thing I've talked to the former president about is 
it we have slipped so bad. You really have to ask yourself, how do we get out of these holes? Sure. Well, the, again, this last court session is good news. Uh, Very I good also, news. I, I, I also think that um, Doug Schoen, who, of course, is a Democratic consultant, was a Clinton uh, consultant. And I, I know Doug a little bit. I worked with him. He's a good guy. Um, Great guy. One of, yeah, he's a good guy. Anyway, he had a piece yesterday uh, or this week in the New York Post uh, warning Democrats that if you continue down this road of, of being so radical and un-American, he didn't say un-American, but radical, um, there, you know, there is, again, maybe our best, our best asset is that they're going to be, become so radical that the Democratic Party is going to have to reinvent itself. There are moderates left in the party. I mean, many have, uh, you know, many have gone and become, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, independents and, and this sort of thing. And they're going to vote our way in November. Yes. I mean, they, yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're not going to stand with their party. Yeah, but I, but I but I think that if the Democratic Party keeps on going this way and voices like yours, Matt, uh, uh, continue, I think that the, the Democratic Party could become a fringe party in the future. I, I'll end on this. I, I have an idea for a podcast for you. What is it that? Should, it, it should be. Uh, you've been, I thought it was going to be angry man in a pink shirt. (laughs) No, no, no. You, you've, you've just been slapped. (laughs) You know what? Uh, okay. So my staff is listening to you because that is literally the name of our podcast. No kidding. Is it really a derivation? A derivation of it. That's so funny. Hey, Matt, Monday, uh, Monday is uh, independence (laughs) day. Not that you need to tell us specifically what your plans are. You have any fun plans? What's your go-to at a 4th of July, uh, a picnic or barbecue. Okay. So we go out to the mountains of Virginia. We escape the city. Uh, we have a little place out there in the mountains, a humble little place, which we love. And, uh, we'll hang out with friends and we watch fireworks from afar because we are kind of in a remote area. We'll have, uh, we'll hang out. Uh, as a family, uh, we'll we'll cook all the staples, uh, and 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 what we do more than anything else, I have a wonderful bowl that I purchased because uh, I like to go uh, go buy old stuff. I say I am old stuff, so I like to yes. buy old stuff. Sure, <laughs> but I have a wonderful bowl of all the great Virginia heroes and politicians oh, awesome. who are now all canceled, and we uh, we turn the bowl because all their images are on this beautiful bowl, and we turn the bowl and we read about those. Uh, those men of history, these yeah, yeah. heroes and who are all canceled and we learn about them. And so what I'm trying to do for my kids is make them understand when they're on TikTok or whatever else that I can't control, unfortunately, sure. yeah. they uh, they are learning all the wrong lessons and yeah. we're learning to be countercultural. I, I, Everything yeah. you hear is wrong. Don't listen. Matt, how you talk to your five girls. I have five children as well. Four girls, one boy. The youngest is a boy. But um, but I tell them the same thing, you know, uh, you're being filled up uh, with with misinformation. So let's make sure that we have opportunities to get good information. That's what the dinner table's for, right? right. Um, and that's and and you know. Can I tell you the other thing, Jerry? That's great yeah, about please. our place out there, which we've replicated in our Alexandria home. Um, the TV is only to watch a movie. There and you go. It gets, and yep. it never gets turned on. Matter of fact, we didn't even get cable out there because I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, sure. yeah. you're smart. I get it. Well, Matt, listen. Uh, uh, happy uh, Independence Day to you and yours. Uh, thank you so very much for for joining us today. We got to get you back uh, uh, at some point soon. Matt, awesome, guys. You, it's always great to be with both of you. And I want to just note for the record that uh, Jerry was quoting a great Protestant theologian in the show. I just want to make that clear. That's good. <laughs> and now it's time for the bottom line. The bottom line. So, wow. And I know, Jerry, I know you've got to get off uh, uh, to go to work, but what a, what a great conversation there. Oh, and, and remind me, before we go, I want to say something, but go, but go ahead. 
No, again, I, 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 uh, Matt, uh, Matt Schlapp, uh, is courageous. Yes. He has the courage of his convictions. And the thing is too, is I think it's very dangerous and you know, this to be true, uh, that there are certain conversations or topics or, or positions, uh, that if you take those positions, you're literally putting your livelihood, your family's, uh, yeah. livelihood in jeopardy, you know, and again, I, and I think about this too. Uh, when the baseball controversy last year's uh, uh, all-star game issue came up oh, yeah. and every, everyone was saying uh, that the uh, Georgia voting laws uh, were Jim Crow to voter suppression. And, and, uh, and if you took the opposite position, there was a lot of pushback, a lot oh, yeah. of pushback. And, and it turns out that that election was the freest, most open most participatory in i think george's history and everyone was wrong and in spite of the left the progressives being baseball being wrong about this uh many people still uh were canceled and banned and And that's scary to me and there's no accountability for those who are predicting doom and gloom as you pointed out with uh with uh, the j6 hearing this week and cassidy um, hutchinson's testimony right where is where is the accountability with uh, the wall street journal coming back or the david french's of the world we didn't even get i wanted to ask him about mick mulvaney you know talking about the yeah cocktail circuit um jerry how are you uh how are you going to be celebrating uh july 4th Uh, well look we 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 do the same thing every year july 4th for us really is similar to what matt had said um we uh there have been times when we've gone down to the um to the archives and we've uh, and they have a reading of the declaration of independence and we've done that before. Um, but we'll have a barbecue or a, we'll grill out with the family. We'll do, we do do historic readings. Good. So we'll, we'll pick out something and we'll read it over dinner. Um, but it's low key Monday though. We will go see fireworks for the first time in two years. Wow. I am. Um, I, I will at some point this weekend watch 1776. Yes. Oh, 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 yeah. uh, yeah. one plug for myself, please. At Real Clear Books right now, uh, go to Real Clear Books today. I have a list of the most patriotic movies. By the way, I am I am very much not happy about the. I, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about Larry O'Connor was the sort of the the propensity to gender flip on Broadway. Um, the, the idea is you take roles and traditional roles that have been one gender and you flip them around for somebody else. The big right. example right now is this uh, uh, musical company by Stephen Sondheim where the character of Robert or Bobby is now Bobby with an I, a woman. And, yeah. and interestingly enough, company has folded or not has folded. It is going to be ceasing performances in July. It's not running nearly as long as they had hoped. There is a production of 1776 that is be- going to be coming to Broadway where all of the, all of the characters are flipped and, and it's, it's a, a, a is know, it, racially is it, diverse. is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a wokeism type thing? Well, to flip the genders, hundred yeah. percent. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, you know, yes. it's interesting. Just to comment on this. You know, um, the Buzz Lightly, Buzz Lightyear, yeah, has flopped. Yes, and 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 you know, Christian Toto has written about this on Hollywood and Toto, but not just there. Else, um, the American people or a significant remnant remain right. uh, that will not engage in in this kind of woke woke reinterpretation. Of art and matter. This is and, why and, Top Gun and, is so successful. The Top yes. Gun Maverick is so successful. And here's the thing about Top Gun for those who didn't see it yet. <laughs> Top Gun is not anti-woke. No. It's just not woke. Yes, that's exactly it. 
Yeah, but of course, exactly Jerry, right. by, by definition, an American 2022, yeah. if you're not actively anti-racist, it means you're racist. So it's, yeah. you know, hey, I want to say something. I want to take a moment of personal privilege here. Um, and and um, because there was a, a, a death in sort of in my orbit in the last uh, in the last week. Um, I got uh, uh, woken up on Sunday from a message and then I had a phone call with my good friend, John Justice. Um, those who, has been on, who, who has been on the podcast, who has been on the podcast and John, uh, John also, that's right. Yeah. John, John did Andrew and Jerry save the world. Um, I've known John for probably 12 years and for m- most of those 12 years, I was doing every Monday morning. I do a hit now on twin cities news talk. Uh, but when John was on with this gentleman, Andrew Lee in Tucson, I would do it with them. Then Drew went off to the twin cities and John stayed behind. Anyway, so John called me up. John had been in the hospital recovering from major surgery. And he he said, you're not going to believe this, but Drew, Andrew Lee, died uh, on Saturday. Very, very sudden situation, completely unexpected. Um, and, I and, and, thought, and, a, and, a, and a young man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, young, young, young in his 50s, you know, like Jerry and I are. And it, it's, it, it, you know, it caught me completely um, unawares. Um, and, and I've had some days to sort of process this. And, and I just want to say, you know, to Drew and his family and, and both his, his, his wife and, and family that way, but also to his extended radio family, uh, my heart goes out to all of you. Uh, my my yeah. condolences. Uh, safe home, Drew. Uh, Godspeed to you, my friend. The world is a dimmer place uh, w- without, you, without you in it. Um, as I said, Jerry and I are both doing radio this weekend. Jerry, you're on on Sunday. Uh, the Jerry Rogers Show on Sunday, and I, I'm, I haven't been told yet, but I'm going to probably be on uh, uh, a couple nights and next week as well. Good. Uh, the Jerry Rogers Show at night uh, over on WBAL. I'm doing my morning show at night. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Greaseman reference. Um, I am going to be on WMAL next week. There may be some more days. That's right. Coming, but I, I am. Uh, I'm going to be on WMAL, which is a Washington D.C. station. You can get it on, on, um, uh, on your phone. You can get it online. It streams. Uh, but I will be in Monday through Friday. So Monday, July fourth through Friday, July eighth, five a.m. to nine a.m. So two early, a.m. early, yes. early. Listen, morning drive. So I, I, is, I'll, I'll be calling you at two o'clock in the afternoon to talk about some controversy, and you'll be asleep. Well, no, but see, that's just it, Jerry. I can't, right? Because if I want to make sure that I can go to bed sometime between 8 and 9 p.m., because I'm going to be getting up at 3.30 I in the know, morning, I actually can't take a nap in the afternoon. See, and you're the type who probably needs eight hours. Oh, you know, it's so funny. I had this conversation with somebody the other day. I need a good seven and a half hours, right? Seven <laughs> and a half. Yeah, it's seven and a half. Yeah, I know. So Jerry's- I went to bed last night. I, I, did, I did the late show yesterday. Uh, got home around 12, 15, and then I'm wired, you know, after doing yes. a, a radio show, I'm wired. So I come home and I, uh, you know, I, I read through emails and I, uh, I go, I, I check out Netflix to see what's going on. And I bet you I went to sleep, fell asleep last night around two, like Lord. two o'clock. I, and I was up at five 30, but I remember, see, but I remember, yes. Cause Jerry texted me at, at five 55 this morning. Um, and, <laughs> Sorry. And, and, no, Did that right. wake you up? That's all right. No, no, no. I actually, oh, I was awake. Uh, I'd woken up cause I went to bed last night at about 10 30 and, and was, was 10 uh, 30. You know, 
Yeah. I was on the radio last night at 1030. You know, so there's a, there's a, but I also been up at three. I know I'm just teasing. I know. You know, it's funny because there's a meme out there that says when I was a kid and I used to have to go to bed at nine, at 9 PM, my bedtime was 9 PM. I couldn't wait until I was a grown up so I could go to bed later at a later time. Turns out that time is 9 PM. So yes, my wife and I, as we're becoming empty nesters, we're going to start making that inexorable journey towards having dinner at four thirty in the afternoon. No, so that's anyway. the thing too. Is so it's, again for I'll let you go, Andrew, no. and we'll close it out. But in the summertime, the Roger, we have dinner. We're like we're like in, in Spain here. Sure. We have dinner like at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, no, 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 can't 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 do it that way. I can't do it that well. You're of course going to bed later as well, but I also I don't like eating within uh, you know several hours of when I'm going to bed. Um, but, you know, anyway, it, it is what it is. Jerry, so what do you want people to do, my friend? Well, especially after talking with, with Matt and, and the kind of courageous um, uh, steps and positions he's taken, uh, we, we have to find the truth, plant your feet, and, uh, and stay firm. Uh, God bless you. Stand God, firm. Yes. Uh, happy birthday, America. Yes. Have a great Independence Day. Woo! Uh, everybody, happy 4th of July. Let's uh, go. Have a, have a great week, everybody. Hey, listen, Jerry and I need to figure out if and when we're going to record the podcast next week. Because you'd be uh, so tired. Uh, well, you know, but but maybe what we'll do is we'll do it in person. Maybe we should go to Matt's offices and, 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 and do it or someplace up on the hill. But uh, have a great week, everybody. Uh, have fun. And please, by all means, stay safe. <laughs>